Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My first guest this week is Christopher Walken. He and I talked from his home. Walken is a great character actor, maybe one of the greatest ever. So many iconic parts, King of New York, Pulp Fiction, Saturday Night Live. I could go on basically forever. These days you can see him on Severance. It's a new TV show written and directed by Ben Stiller. Severance is a sort of dystopian workplace dramedy. It's set mostly inside the confines of a giant, bleak office building. When employees there start their workday, they forget completely about their personal lives. And when they go home, they forget completely about their work. What could possibly go wrong? Along with Walken, Severance stars Adam Scott, Patricia Arquette, and John Turturro. It's airing now on Apple TV+. Walken's character is a middle manager named Bert. In this scene, he's wandering the sparse, severe halls of the Lumen Industries office. He runs into John Turturro's character, Irving. The two are looking up at a huge, grotesque painting on the otherwise bare wall. When I say grotesque, I mean like Hieronymus Bosch level upsetting. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, sir. I didn't think anybody was out here. I'm coming out for my session. I, I was just going in. I was admiring the art while I wait. That piece hung in the perpetuity wing for many years. I know. It broke my heart when they took it down. It's better here. It's calming. I'm Irving, macro data refinement. Are you a department head? Well, optics and design. The two-person department, so barely. So this is your work. Hmm? We don't paint them. We do hang them. I loved that you did the Ambrose cycle in the team building space last quarter. Huh. I never seen it. It's rare to meet a sophisticate. Most people only think of O&D when new handbook totes come in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love those too. Christopher Walken, I'm so happy to have you on Bullseye. Thank you for coming on the show. Hi. One of my favorite things about watching the show, uh, Severance, was getting to watch you and John Turturro. You're both such New York guys and such such just wonderful consummate actors. They're like you're like two of the actors that I would I would never pass up the chance to see do something on screen or on stage. And for that reason, I think I imagined that you were best friends. In fact, I might have already imagined the two of you as best friends before I saw you working together. <laughs> but what was it? What was it like to to work with this uh, this other man with such extraordinary and elegant and distinctive qualities as a performer? Well, you're right. You know, I've known John for a very long time. He makes movies. He writes and directs and produces his own movies. And I think I've been in, I think, four of them now. And I, I, I just, I know him very well. He's one of the only actors uh, that I, I talk to on the telephone once in a while. And I, I see him. I, I love John. Being with John every day, I get to go to work and we sit 
there's a lot of time between takes and you sit and you talk and and um it was uh, it was a real pleasure you started working as an actor when you were a kid did you have any regular jobs i grew up in in a, in queens which was about 15 minutes on the subway from manhattan where uh, television kind of got born after the second world war you know there were three networks and they were all kind of uh, around the area of Rockefeller Center. And there were 90 live shows every week. And in the 50s, television was very family-oriented. And um, especially at holidays, Christmas, Easter. And they used these kids. Uh, we weren't really actors. We, you know, sing a little, dance a little, uh, say a couple of lines. And, uh, you know, there were a lot of those kids and they used them in, 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 in a lot of those shows. There were schools for those kids. I went to one of them. So that's what I did. My father had a bakery and I sometimes uh, worked there. At one point, I, when I got a driver's license, I used to deliver his wedding cakes. But mostly since I was five years old, I've been in show business. Was your dad always out of the house before you woke up? Yes, he he had a he had his bakery, and uh, my father worked very hard. He really seven days a week, and he was always at his bakery. Were there things there you like to eat? Of course, my house was full of cakes and uh, you know bread. And uh, as as I got older, these days I I don't eat dessert much because I think I had dessert all the time when I was a kid. I know he liked to cook. Did he teach you things? Sure. And in fact, in those days, the bakeries would, they would kind of sideline doing other things at holidays. They would, you know, take your turkey for you and put it in the bread ovens and your turkey and your ham, you could bring it there and they would cook it for you. And he, he did that. Uh, yeah, my father was a good cook. How do you think your mom got the idea for you and your brothers to be actors. She was really taken with show business and the movies and theater. And uh, and it, the time was ripe, really, for that sort of thing. Like I say, after the Second World War, uh, television got started. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, there were just a few TVs around. Sometimes the, the neighborhood saloon would have a TV and everybody would go there and watch uh, baseball and so on, uh, boxing and horse racing. And those days were very big. Uh, my family had a TV early on. And I remember th there were certain nights a week, you know, uh, Uncle Milty or Sid Caesar or uh, uh, there were always these specials, especially at holidays. My parents' friends would come to our house. Everybody would go there basically just to watch a TV show. TV was, was very interesting. People would, they would watch test patterns. <laughs> you know, they would have these patterns where you could adjust the focus on your TV. And they would just sit there and watch these, these patterns because it was TV. It was so, it was so um, such a novelty. And then, of course, within just a few years, 
uh, there were millions of TV sets, but in the beginning, uh, they were rare. Great big box, you know, a great big box with all these knobs on it and a little tiny screen the size of a toaster. People were uh, transfixed. Were there acting jobs that you were particularly excited about as a kid? No, I, it wasn't acting, as I say. It, 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 we weren't actors. We were child performers. And, and in fact, when it came to the shows themselves, we were more like set dressing. You know, it would be Christmas, so you'd have a lot of kids around a tree. Uh, or Easter, and we'd all be searching for eggs. And uh, it was that kind of thing. I, I can't say that we were actors. What was the first thing you'd say you really acted in? Well, when I, I, I grew up doing that, and then I kind of graduated into doing musicals. Everybody in those days took dancing lessons. And the boys and the girls, the girls would take ballet, the boys would take tap and acrobatics. And people sent their kids to these um, classes especially in, in the part of New York that I grew up in. So I learned to dance, and then I started to get into musicals. And I remember when I was about 18 or 20, uh, somebody said, there's an audition for a play. You should go down. And I went and I auditioned, even though I had no experience, I got the part. And then I started to get acting parts. So I became an actor a little bit by accident. We actually found a clip of you performing in what we're pretty sure is a short film when you were a kid. It's from 1956 and it's kind of a it's kind of a spooky twilight zone type thing called The Boy Who Saw Through. That's right, The Boy Who Saw Through. That's right. I would have been about 13 or something. A kid who sees through walls, right? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what it was for, but uh, yeah, that was an acting job, and I don't know how I got that. I'm not sure <laughs> I've ever seen it. Well, it's this is just you're about, you're about to hear it. It's a little it's a little scene where um, you and your mom are getting ready for church. You have the kind of odd accent of like a uh, of a, like a master thespian, and you're a 13 year old from Astoria. And I, as I was listening to it, I was wondering, like, do you think you were doing a mystical boy voice, or do you think that was the voice in which you performed? I I I, I have no idea what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I just I got a job. You know, uh, it's funny. There's a, a a lot of stuff, uh, what they used to call kinescope. And in fact, there's a museum not far from where I was born in Astoria near the Kaufman Studios. It's the uh, television archives. And they have all these kinescopes. And they got one from me doing a Colgate comedy hour when I was 10 years old. 
and um, it's a skit with Jerry Lewis. And I, I saw it, and what really struck me was how little I've changed. <laughs> the same voice, the same uh, kind of mannerisms, I don't know what to call it, but um, I, I have a feeling we don't change as much as we think we do. Did you do a lot of those kind of, there were a lot of TV sketch shows at the time, Colgate Comedy Hour, uh, Caesar's Hour, and your show of shows were yeah. a pretty fantastically great sketch show at the time. Did you do a lot of stuff like that? Oh, yes, absolutely. That's really what I did, basically. And there were all sorts of really good uh, uh, dramatic television, uh, like the Armstrong Circle Theater and Philco Playhouse and... Um, Lux Video Theater and so on. And they did, you know, serious plays by Patty Chayefsky and and directors like Sidney Lumet and George Roy Hill and people directing them. And, uh, you know, you've got early early days of George C. Scott and, and lots of people, James Dean. Um, television had a lot of very interesting stuff. It's all pre-videotape. Uh, videotape got uh, invented, I think, somewhere around... 1957, but up until then, everything was live. And if you didn't see it, you know, you you never saw it, except for this um, uh, kinescope, which was basically a film taken up the, off the TV set. And there's lots of records of that, but videotape changed everything. It's when television basically moved from New York to um, California. Uh, and after that, uh, you know, you could do a show and then you could show it over and over again. And, um, you know, episodic TV and all the series and Route 66 and all that sort of started uh, with videotape. But before then, it was much more like live theater. We've got a lot more to get into with Christopher Walken. Later, we'll talk about why he loves performing on Saturday Night Live. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the actor Christopher Walken. He's an Academy Award winner. He's been performing for over 60 years. 60! He's been in just about every kind of movie. In fact, he's been in just about every movie <laughs> from The Deer Hunter to Catch Me If You Can to Hairspray. These days, you can see him on the new TV series Severance. It's a science fiction show. Let's say maybe a little like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind meets Brazil. You can watch Severance now on Apple TV+. Let's get back into our conversation. I was talking to an actor yesterday named Sam Regal. He's a voice actor, and he actually went to the same high school as you, although he went in the 90s. He was telling me about when he was, I think it was about 12 or something like that, he was in the national touring production of Les Miserables. You know, I think he must have been the only 12-year-old, and there may have been one other 12-year-old doubling his part or something. Uh, but, you know, he's going to like Louisville or whatever to play the regional theater and do Les Mis. And he told me about, he's like, well, there was this one guy on the crew who like would take me to the comic book store. <laughs> and I was thinking about that when I was reading about your days as a kid actor. Like, I, I wondered if, you know, Jackie Gleason or somebody 
ever like threw their arm around your shoulder and said, let me tell you about something about show business. I don't think so. Uh, but uh, I certainly was around uh, some great performers. I remember I did a show, a live special show with uh, Danny Thomas, Lucille Ball, Jack Benny, and Jerry Lewis. And I can't say that that I got to know them, but I did get to sit there and watch them work. And that was uh, really fascinating. I, it's it's an education unlike anything I think you could get, except by happened to be uh, accidentally in show business during the 50s. And I, I did watch a lot of people uh, do what they do, uh, very close range. Uh, but I, I, I can't say that I was ever mentored by them. Um, but I did get to watch them. They obviously were in, you know, a different version of show business than the show business of the today or the, or the show business of the, you know, 60s and 70s when you went from being a, um, you know, a working performer to being a, a, a star and, you know, successful character actor. Are there things that you think about seeing someone do when you were a kid or have thought about seeing someone do when you were a kid that inform the work that you've done since? Oh, yes, of course. You know, when I, when I became an actor, I started to get into plays. And uh, uh, people would say, I'd, I'd be in a play and they'd say to me, why do you keep turning to the audience and talking to the audience? And I'd say, well, that's what I learned how to do. Uh, I, I learned how to be on the stage from musicals. And uh, in musicals, the audience is, you know, always the other character in the scene. Uh, there's no such thing as a fourth wall. You're talking to whoever you're talking to in the scene, and you're also talking to the audience. And I, I frankly still feel that way. I even feel that way in movies. You know, the camera is basically another camera, uh, another character in the room, and, and um, you don't pretend they're not there. And uh, that's, you know, that's the way I do it. I realize it's not uh, typical, but the fact is that television and the time I grew up in the 50s came out of radio, and radio came out of vaudeville, and vaudeville probably came out of burlesque and all that stuff that happened before that. So um, it's true that there was a kind of performance uh, that doesn't exist much anymore, but I was a kind of on the, uh, I had one foot in 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 that world and another one in the in the world that was coming i think it's a very interesting experience you know uh, for me anyway to have to be that kind of hybrid almost performer i think that just your your presence is so distinctive that there's no amount of um there's no amount of performance or entertaining that wouldn't read as natural simply because you're not like other people we watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I think that that, you know, that kind of, there are very few people who've been in show business since they were five years old. And, um, you know, I, I, I never played baseball. I never played basketball. I, I can't swim. I, I was raised in New York's, city and um 
and I went to dancing school and uh, learned how to sell a song, and that's pretty unusual. It, it's a certain kind of education, you know, for better or worse. It, it makes you who you are. What, there, what's that old uh, saying that, you know, you give me a child uh, at the age of seven and, uh, you know, that, that, that will determine what kind of man he is. And I think that I was formed by uh, that world, which has gone away to a large extent. Everything's different now. I mean, even most recently, you know, the way people go to the movies. And when I was growing up, there were these big movie palaces. You'd buy a ticket and you'd be inside this very ornate place with balconies and a ceiling with, you know, artificial stars and... And you'd see um, two features and cartoons, and uh, and that's all gone. Now people watch movies on a tablet, so it's it's not it's not uh, one thing or the other. It's just different. You mentioned that your first role as an actor in a play was when you were a young man. That was a play that you, correct me if I'm wrong, both essentially got fired from and ended up winning awards for. Oh yeah, that yes, the I was in a musical called Baker Street, and uh, somebody said, you know, why don't you go down and audition for this play that they're doing called uh, The Lion in Winter. Uh, and it, it was before the movie. It was the original Lion and Winter. It was a play on Broadway with uh, Robert Preston, the great Robert Preston as the king and Rosemary Harris and all these interesting actors. And uh, so why don't you go down and audition? And I did, and I, and I got the part. Uh, I don't know why. And then we went out of town and... Every, everybody started to realize that I didn't know what I was doing. And I was so nervous uh, that I was just uh, making a mess of the whole thing. And they told me that they were going to, they said, you're a nice guy, but we're going to have to replace you. And I asked them to give me a few days, uh, and they did. And I somehow uh, pulled it together. And it worked out very well. Do you remember what you were making a mess of? No, the whole thing. I was so nervous that I was, you know, forgetting my lines. I remember I had to hand the king a goblet of, of wine. And uh, my hand was shaking so badly that I was spilling it all over the stage. But somehow the kind of the part that I was playing, that seemed somehow okay. So probably my own uh, uh, insecurity worked worked for me in the part. Anyway, it worked out well. I I think I ended up being pretty good in it. I feel like I probably would have a hard time handing a goblet of wine to Robert Preston. Exactly. Although I have to say, you know, he was the most wonderful man, and and so supportive. And I think maybe it was largely uh, him. Who, who kept me in the show. He used to come up to me and say, uh, uh, 
you know, don't worry so much, you know, don't stand in the wings and say your lines over and over again. You know your lines, you know, just walk on stage and enjoy it. And uh, he was he was really great to me. It's funny, like, I think of you as one of the great guest performers on Saturday Night Live. Um, well, they use cue cards. <laughs> that's what I was about to say. I don't think yeah. anyone has turned in a better performance on Saturday Night Live while so obviously reading lines directly off the cue cards. And Bobby, you are right. I am being selfish. But the last time I checked, we don't have a whole lot of songs that feature the cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. <laughs> And I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Yes, they, they use cue cards and the guys who, uh, who do the cue cards are absolutely, of course, expert. Uh, that SNL thing sort of spoils me because it makes me want to use cue cards for everything. You know, I would love to make a movie sometime with cue cards. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think it would be nice to just go through life uh, with cue cards. <laughs> it, it might be nice to do this interview with cue cards. You know, everybody in Hollywood has an assistant. I feel like a second assistant, they would have to have that kind of good handwriting and those big, fat, permanent markers. That's right. They use these big white cards with the magic markers, a black uh, magic marker. It's printed really big, and um, it's absolutely divine to use cue cards. <laughs> we'll wrap up with Christopher Walken in just a minute. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. Hi, I'm Janet Varney, and just like you, I survived high school. And we're not alone. On my podcast, The JV Club, I invite some of my friends to share the highs and lows of their teen years, like moments with Aisha Tyler. But when you're a kid, the stakes are just pretty low. Go to school, try not to get in trouble, get laid. Jamila Jamil. I watched television probably every waking hour during that time when I was shit-faced on medicine. And Dave Holmes. We talked and talked, and then everybody left. It was just us two, and I was like, I love you. Learn how you too can be a functioning adult after the drama and heartbreak of high school. Every week on the JV Club with Janet Varney. Find it on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a judgment-free show. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with actor Christopher Walken. He's starring in the new Apple TV Plus show, Severance. One of the things that I thought of as I was watching Severance, the premise of which basically is that there are people living their lives, their professional and their personal lives, completely separated from each other, which is to say they're not aware of what's going on in the other half of their life, is that... yeah. You know, being on set, especially, it's to this, to, to this, in my very limited experience, a little bit like this on, in, on stage, but being on set, especially, is like a space world that is so separate from like a house and being normal. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe Christopher Walken has never worked in a cubicle before, but I think you can understand the idea of, 
the sort of odd alienation between these worlds, even though, you know, your wife is in show business as well. She's a pretty legendary casting director and and you met her when she was a performer. Um, But like, that these are two places that are so different from each other. What's it like to like go home and read a book after you've spent the day in the weird world of a television or a movie set? Well, you know, for me, they are, you know, it is going to work maybe because I started doing it so young, but for me being an actor is, you know, going to work and I go and then I'm done and I come home. But the, the big deal for me is, is I'm done. They say it's a wrap. Uh, see you in the morning and you change your clothes and you get in the car and you go back to the hotel. And that ride back to the hotel is really what it's all about. I, I sit in the car going back to the hotel and I think, that was good. I was good today. And that scene is going to be good. And this was great. Or I think I, I could have done it so much better and I feel lousy because I didn't do what I'd hoped I could do and I'm disappointed in myself. And it's all about that. Uh, it's about feeling good about what I did or wishing I could have done better. And um, it's funny how it's always that way, no matter what it is. It's not that I carry my character around with me. It's just whether or not I was good. Are you able to appreciate in retrospect what you've done? Like, do you feel like you're able to have distance on things? No, I I feel really lucky, you know. This, uh, you know, just say yes. Um, frame of mind of mine is, is uh, you know, led to wonderful things. I... I live in a nice place and uh, you know I've I've always believed in taking care of myself dancers you know have a strange kind of discipline uh, they tend to do the same thing all the time and even when they're not working uh they remain active um just because if they don't they don't feel good so it's a funny old discipline being a dancer you're always aware of your body, and um, so I'm. I'm very grateful for that. I I really feel like I've been terrifically lucky. Do you get sick of getting asked to dance and stuff? You've been asked to dance in so many things that are not musical theater. <laughs> I know everybody. They always they always put a scene in. You know, we dance and and I like to to. Um, I like to oblige, so I usually do it, but I am tired of it. Do you dance for fun? No, and dancers really don't. I, I, you know, when I was a dancer, I, I always noticed that dancers would go to a party, you know, and they were the only ones who didn't dance. They just, uh, it's, uh, they go to class, you know, and they dance in the show, and that's enough. Was there a time when you felt like you were really an actor? Uh, no. 
No, I've, I've always thought of myself as a, as a, a performer. Did that make the act, acting extra challenging or scary or, or conversely easy? Not really. When I've been a good actor, I've always, uh, it's because I, I got a little bit lucky. You know, the things just sort of aligned and, and came together. And also, you know, certain, certain parts just suit the actor's temperament. There's something about them that, you know, that lines up with the character. And uh, that's why really good directors understand that thing about casting. There are certain directors who understand so clearly when they look at an actor that that's the guy for the part. And, um, you know, if they say, come be in my movie, it's because there's something about you that's going to fit perfectly with all the rest of the elements. And um, I, I, I really appreciate that when I'm in that situation. When have you had the most fun as an actor? Oh, that for lots of reasons. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, movies in particular, you know, they're pictures. So that when you go somewhere to make a movie, chances are it's an interesting place to look at. Just because there's going to be a camera in taking pictures of what's in back of you all the time. So I've been to many interesting places in the world. I don't particularly like to travel because being an actor, I travel and I travel to interesting places, interesting places to look at. Uh, but that could be somewhere far away. You know, when I did The Deer Hunter, I lived in Thailand for months, and that was absolutely fascinating uh, to be in the city and the jungle and among a, a different culture the food and the sounds, and there'd be the monsoon, this rain that comes down like a wall, you know, just relentlessly, and um, that sort of thing. Or I get a movie, I shot a movie in Asbury Park, um, down in Jersey, uh, in the wintertime, and it was just wonderful, you know, uh, the, the beaches were empty because it was so cold, and the wind blowing just absolutely so clean. Uh, so so it can be Asbury Park or Thailand. And sometimes that's, that's what makes, you know, doing a movie um, terrific, just where you are. Other times it's the people you're with, you know, to be with terrific actors and terrific people, spend time with certain people. And uh, making a movie is, is an intense situation you know you're you're intimate with people for you know six weeks or or three months and you spend time with these really talented interesting people in a kind of situation that you would never be in except if, if it was a movie so there's all sorts of things that that are are um what you what we're talking about you know having fun. I worked in Laos for a little bit and my, I didn't speak Lao. And I, the thing I remember the most is my boss, Vorison ordering food for me, different places and him explaining that he had ordered like the least spicy food available. 
and then I would eat it. And I'm not even, I don't have any problem with spicy food as a rule, but I would have like tears running down my face and stuff. No, yes, I do. I remember that in Thailand, they had these uh, peppers that were absolutely tiny. I, I don't know if you remember that in Laos. They have these really uh, small uh, peppers and you look at them and you think, well, that's, that's not much. But you'd eat one be like a bomb going off inside your head. <laughs> yeah. They eat in Laos, they eat a lot of this thing called LARP, which is a chopped salad of chicken and herbs. And it has a lot of peppers in it. And there's the, like the pieces are, you know, the size of a grape nut and uh, <laughs> you hit one. And just yeah. Hurt. Oh, I know. And uh, well, it's, you know, it's very good for you. So. But I have to say that when I was in Laos, I didn't, as I as I read you did when you were in uh, when you were in Thailand, uh, eat any opium. So, no, that's right. I did. Somebody said here, and I I I said, "What do you do with it?" And he said, "I don't know." Right. So I ate it, <laughs> and I I got I got a terrible intestinal infection. Why did the how did the opium give you a, an intestinal infection? Because they mixed it with buffalo dung or something like that. And that'll do it. I can't imagine that'll it tasted it. very good. <laughs> no, it was terrible. And it, you know, it didn't really even have any effect. It just made me sick. Oh, I'm sorry. You're still acting so much. You're in your late 70s now. Is acting keeping you from anything or are you just, you know, are you just a fish in water? Yes, I am a fish in water. I don't really like to travel. Um, I don't play golf or tennis. Or, I don't have children. Um, I read scripts and I go to work, you know. Well, Christopher Walken, I've so enjoyed your work for so many years, so I sure appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Well, thank you. I, I, I enjoyed talking to you. Christopher Walken, thanks to him for taking so much time to talk with us. You can catch him in the new Apple TV Plus show, Severance, right now. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. Here in Los Angeles, it was 87 degrees. And then I think it was two days later, it was snowing. So I don't really know what to make of that. Granted, the snow was in Pasadena, a couple miles from my house. But it was bonkers. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producer is Jesus Ambrosio. Our production fellows at Maximum Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffett. We get booking help from Mara Davis. Special thanks this week to Jed Kim for recording Christopher Walken at his home in Connecticut. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation, recorded by the group The Go Team. Thanks to them and to their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. Bullseye is also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find us there. Give us a follow. We'll share with you all of our interviews. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. 
Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.